Call for Action presents Of Consuming Interest, a public service show that discusses scams, deceptive offers, and other consumer concerns. Here's the director of WJLA 7 Call for Action and your host, Shirley Rooker. Automated vehicles. Well, is that something for the future or is it something for right now? Well, there are cars being introduced that actually drive themselves. Unfortunately, there was a tragic accident recently in Arizona where a woman was hit and killed by a driverless vehicle. Now, we're going to talk about the concept, how they work, and what it means for the future of safety of drivers and passengers and property. So my guest today is Mark Scribner. He is a senior fellow at the Competitive Enterprise Institute, and he focuses on transportation regulation. Mark, welcome to Of Consuming Interest. Thank you for having me, Shirley. Now, this is a very fascinating subject, and I we do have a car that's got, it's about four years old, but it is a, I'm not sure how to describe it, it kind of drives itself, but you have to keep your hands on the steering wheel, but it starts and stops and follows traffic and follows the lines in the road and all that sort of stuff. Makes me a little nervous sometimes, but I love it, basically. Um, So let's talk a little bit about the technology that goes into these vehicles. And as I said, our vehicle is is older. The newer vehicles, let's take the case of the Uber uh, in Arizona. What what happened there? Do we really know? Well, the the details are still scant on the, the Arizona, the fatal crash there. But what we do know and what we can judge based on uh, video that has been released and also just the fact that the the, the incident occurred uh, is that something went wrong with uh, with Uber's self-driving system. It should have been able to, if it was working uh, as designed, to have detected uh, th- that woman. Uh, before she stepped in front of the path of the vehicle. So the, the, and what we've seen so far, based on the, the limited video that we've seen, it doesn't look like uh, the, the, the test driver who was present in the vehicle was even aware that, uh, that uh, someone had been hit until after the accident had occurred. So something went wrong. The technology is designed to prevent uh, precisely this type of thing. So uh, it'll be interesting to see uh, what the crash investigators uh, make of all of it. But there, there was somebody in the car, but this person wasn't actually in control of the vehicle. Is that correct? Well, that person, the safety driver, is supposed to be monitoring the road conditions at all time and to take over uh, in the event of a of a system failure. Uh, They didn't do that, um, and it appears they may have been distracted. They uh, the video from the interior of the car immediately prior to the accident shows the uh, safety test driver uh, averting uh, their eyes from the uh, from uh, the, the the forward movement of the car from the windshield and looking down at something. So it appears not only did the self-driving system fail, but that the backstop safety driver also wasn't behaving as they were supposed to behave. So will that person be held any liability there? I mean, that's a legal question. You probably can't answer it, but do you have a sense? Well, the liability here is so as far as as far as civil liability, uh, Uber has already settled uh, for an undisclosed sum of money with the victim's family. Um, as for criminal, um, I think uh, 
in part because the, the, the woman who was killed uh, was uh, crossing outside of a designated crosswalk and therefore the, the Uber vehicle had the, the legal right of way, that there probably won't be uh, criminal charges brought against uh, the safety driver or against Uber, um, but it, it, it's still too early to say based on you know uh, what we know of the investigation and where it could potentially go. So there was some culpability on the part of the, the pedestrian, and, and I don't mean that to take away from the tragedy, but um, if you're crossing outside the crosswalk, that, that could be a problem. But, okay, so the, the car didn't stop. Now, one of the things that I think that concerns the Competitive Enterprise Institute is the fact that, that I believe isn't Arizona about to pass some laws that would hamper the use of automotive, automated vehicles? Uh, the legislature is looking into that, um, but uh, Arizona, until this incident, had, had been trying to contrast itself uh, with high-regulation states like California that impose a lot more burdens on uh, testing companies for this type of thing. But I think it's important to note that none of – basically, the, the, in, in high-regulation states such as California, much of the, uh, the, 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 the regulatory system, the, the, in terms of the responsibilities uh, put upon these testing companies, it's mostly about reporting. So it isn't clear – that any existing regulatory framework out there would have prevented this type of accident. And and that's exactly what it, it seems to me like it was. Um, okay, so let's, let's talk about the technology that's involved here. Clearly, it's recognition. I know in, in our vehicle... Um, one of the things that that I've noticed that that you can't you have to pay attention, and that is it does not know how to recognize a stoplight, a red light unless there's a car already in the lane. So if you're barreling down the highway and there's a red light up ahead, our vehicle does not know that there's a red light there. Now has that technology improved so that it would recognize there's a red light even though there may not be a vehicle stopped there? Well, in some of these prototypes, so if you're looking at Uber, if you're looking at a, a number of the automakers who have their advanced self-driving prototypes, or if you're looking at Waymo, which was formerly the Google self-driving car project and is probably the most advanced out there, um, they do have the technology to identify uh, and classify things like uh, 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 stoplights um, and, and respond accordingly. But the, the technology, the lower-level automation technology, such as lane-keeping assistance, adaptive cruise control, things that are in production vehicles available to, to purchase from a dealership today, those don't have that capability. Um, and it's unclear if, the, if automakers are going to uh, phase in that level of technology or if they're going to try to jump from that maybe the, the, the kind of the middle of, uh, of these tech capabilities to something more advanced, precisely because you still need to have human beings monitoring this at all times, mm -hmm. and there's a risk of people becoming too uh, comfortable and over overly reliant on these on these technologies uh, when they're, they're they're not meant to uh, uh, take away human time on task of driving. Yeah, this got, and, and of course, in our car, you certainly have to be on top of it, and it requires you to keep your hand.
hands on the steering wheel, which is another thing. You get this nasty little warning and red light and beeping if you don't. So so you know that you're being bad. If you take your hands off the steering wheel, you're going to get notified. Let's just take a brief pause here to let our listeners know they're tuned into Of Consuming Interest. I'm Shirley Rooker. My guest is Mark Scribner. He is a senior fellow at the Competitive Enterprise Institute, and his focus is on transportation regulation. And we're talking about self-driving or automated cars, whatever you want to call them. Is self-driving a wrong term? Well, self-driving is appropriate when you're talking about the the high levels of automation, such as um, what was the 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 Waymo vehicle, uh, which is formerly Google. Mm-hmm. Um, then I think that's an appropriate term. But when you're talking about even things like the the Tesla autopilot, mm-hmm. which also recently saw another uh, uh, fatal accident, I don't think self-driving is it, it's it's not appropriate uh, because in those cases uh, the human drivers are supposed to be monitoring Mm -hmm. uh, the technology at all times. Okay. One of the things that I've noticed on our vehicle also, it becomes rather interesting when you approach a off-ramp and there's no uh, line on the side of the road to guide the car. Um, I believe that the technology that our car has is it recognizes the lines on the side of the road, and that's how it keeps you in the lanes. Do you know enough about some of the technology? Is that one of the ways they work? Yeah, looking at lane markings, having a uh, an optical uh, 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 analysis of the lane markings as the as the uh, vehicles going down the road is a way, a uh, common way for uh, self-driving vehicles to recognize its position within the, within the roadway. Now they're doing a lot more than that. A lot of these te- testing companies have been manually mapping uh, areas in part because the uh, uh, our municipal public works departments, state highway departments are not always, uh, uh, I guess, uh, pu- uh, pushing maintenance first. Um, so you may have degraded roads. <laughs> roadways um, that uh, could uh, trick the sensors. So there's been a lot of work done by these companies uh, sort of picking up the slack where uh, our, our public road managers have sort of uh, failed. Um, so, uh, And that's actually an important point. One of the most important things that the government could be doing to usher in this technology is just to maintain the roads that we already have in a, in a, in a state of good repair. Um, so it doesn't require a lot more uh, new infrastructure. Rather, uh, uh, maintenance should be uh, at the forefront of, of, of every uh, municipal public works department and highway department if they want to see this technology deployed. I think the interesting thing, though, is, is when you approach an exit off of the road, there is generally no stripe there uh, to tell you where the, the road is. In other words, if you're driving on the lane and the lane has an exit or not, and the stri- the marking stops because the marking doesn't go across the exit ramp. So I find that our vehicle gets a little confused by that. Um, at least I think it does. So I don't, you know, I'm always on. I, I love to drive. It's not a chore for me anyway. So I, I love it. I love the getting out on the road. But I do find that that's one of the things that uh, that's that's very interesting. And, of course, as I mentioned, it doesn't recognize red lights unless there's a car already stopped there. So uh, it's interesting to see the advances that are coming uh, that are that are taking place. Do you have a feel, Mark, for 
how this is going to be phased in. Now, will do you have a sense that Uber will go back to using these automated vehicles, or what do you think is going to happen? Put out, pull out your crystal ball. Well, um, if I had to predict, I would say Uber will likely resume testing. They've they've spent a lot of money on this technology, and in a, in, a, in short order, they've racked up about three million miles of on-road testing. Um, and they've 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 been increasing their uh, on-road testing at a much more rapid rate than some of the more established players, namely Waymo, uh, have been doing. Which still, uh, Waymo, I believe, has a little over five million miles uh, of on-road testing to date. Um, but uh, Uber started much later at this. Uh, than Google did, uh, now now Waymo for their self-driving car project. Um, but uh, I do think that they're, right now, though, that they're going to be doing a lot of closed-track testing um, and uh, virtual simulations in order to work out any of these issues that may have caused uh, this fatal crash uh, before they return to the roads. So they're also going to have to demonstrate to regulators and states that they have done, uh, or rather taken appropriate measures uh, to fix whatever problems may exist. Okay, now, uh, the the you, you had told me before we went on the air that Uber has its own software that it uses. It's not something that's produced by anyone else. Could that have been where the failure happened? Is that where the failure likely happened? Most likely. Um, one, for instance, one of the uh, suppliers of, the, uh, of a major sensor that Uber uses, uh, a company called Velodyne, which made uh, the LiDAR array that sits at the top of the car. And LiDAR is basically a, it's a laser ranging technology. It looks like a, a little cylinder that spins around on top of the car and is, and is supposed to 3D uh, map the environment in real time. That sensor, according to the company, was functional. Um, so it, it appears that, uh, and, and also uh, the Uber vehicle had radar on it that also should have uh, detected uh, the victim. So uh, something most likely went wrong with the software. Either it didn't, um, it didn't somehow the detection from the sensor didn't end up in the software, or that it improperly classified the victim, or that it uh, that it failed to accurately predict her uh, her movement, which is another thing that these these uh, self-driving software systems are supposed to do. So it, it it appears most likely that this is a software failure rather than a hardware failure, and the and the test driver most likely would have been notified uh, if there had been a hardware failure um, and would have taken control. So. Um, if I had to guess, this is this is a software problem. Okay, so it failed to recognize the woman when she came within its path. Now, and it, you mentioned it has to account for the speed at which the person is moving. So if you were down, driving down the road and a deer ran out in front of you, that would be totally different from a person because they'd be moving at a much greater speed. Uh, speed. So how far out do these systems detect movement that's likely going to come into their path? So usually a... Um uh, a, a few dozen meters, they should have been able to. They should have been able to see her, um, and then also start uh, classifying and then trying to predict uh, her movement. Your example of a of a deer uh, jumping immediately in front of 
someone's headlights as the, as the car's moving at 50 miles an hour, say, on a rural road, uh, is a good example of what some of this technology may not be able to prevent in the future, an accident like that. But uh, in this case, um, the woman was standing on a median, which uh, wasn't uh, very well lighted, but had started to cross into the street well before moving into the path of the Uber test vehicle. So various sensors should have detected her approaching the vehicle from a, a, a perpendicular angle um, and, and uh, uh, responded accordingly. But uh, that did not occur. It did not happen. Well, let's, this time is flying by, Mark. Let's just take a brief pause here to let our listeners know they're tuned in to Of Consuming Interest. I'm Shirley Rooker. My guest is Mark Scribner. He is a senior fellow, uh, excuse me, senior uh, fellow at the uh, Competitive Enterprise Institute, and he is a focuses on transportation regulation. And we're talking about automated vehicles and and their future. Let me ask you a question here. One of the things that I've uh, that I've wondered about. Is are the more advanced cars able to recognize that there are curves in the road and they're going to slow down accordingly? Now, in our vehicle, and as I said, it's it's old. Uh, you set it at a speed, and it will adjust itself to staying a certain distance behind the vehicle in front of it. If that vehicle slows down, it slows down. But when you're traveling on a curvy road and there's no one in front of you, our vehicle doesn't have enough. Uh, intelligence, sorry car, don't mean to insult you, to recognize that that it needs to slow down because there's a curve ahead. What about the new technology? Is that is that going to be, I, I would think it would have to be incorporated. Yes, the new technology does account for things like that. So your adaptive cruise control in your car uh, is what's known as a level one automation system. What the, the kinds of but things I love that, it. That, I love it. <laughs> and and those certainly the driver assistance systems certainly can provide benefits um, uh, to people. But we're talking about the more advanced systems. Right. Aim not to, not to assist the driver, but to take the driver out of the equation, and that's because about 19 out of 20 crashes, it's the driver who makes some error or misbehaves mm-hmm. that causes the crash. So the ultimate goal is to is to take the driver out of the equation. What the auto companies, when they were opposing uh, Ralph Nader's uh, initial calls for for national auto regulation, used to refer to as the loose nut behind the wheel, um, as as a opposed to something being wrong with the car's technology. Mm-hmm. Um, here we're entering a new era where uh, the car's technology will be uh, front and center. The drivers, you know, we're re- we've recognized that drivers are, in fact, driving the, the, the crashes that occur on the road. And the way to reduce that, um, there are a number of things you can do, but the way to do that, at least from a vehicle point of view, is to reduce the responsibility of the driver, ultimately alleviate the responsibility completely and having a computer direct this. So, yes, they will be able to uh, handle those kinds of curves. Now, there's a question of on certain blind curves, um, if you go at the speed limit, even the posted speed limit, that may not give you enough time to stop in order to avert uh, a crash, say if there's a hidden drive.
driveway or something like that. Um, and there's talks about uh, new types of communication technology, uh, uh, wireless communications between vehicles that could augment a, a, a sensor-based uh, self-driving system. Uh, but uh, yes, those, the more advanced uh, uh, cars, which are generally at uh, they're shooting for level three and now up to level four automation, um, those will be able to handle those types of situations. Are any of those cars on the market now? None of them are on the market. Um, you do see uh, Waymo, uh, again, that's the former uh, Google self-driving car project, um, the, uh, a company, a subsidiary of the parent Alphabet. Uh, they are aiming to commercialize this in the very near future, but not by selling these vehicles. Instead, they will operate more like a taxi service. And I think that that's where you're going to see a lot of the early deployment of this. You won't be able to buy the most advanced self-driving car from a dealership, in part because these companies that are developing these vehicles want to know every little thing about them and to correct the problems as they occur, which you can't do as much as soon as you start uh, releasing these to the consumer market. So I expect it's probably going to be several years after we have the initial deployment of fleet vehicles as, say, as, say a taxi-style service before we're going to see uh, any consumer models available in dealerships. Well, that's okay. I don't mind. I like my level one vehicle. The thing that I find that is so absolutely fabulous about it is that if I'm in a lot of traffic, it just drives and I don't have to keep putting my foot on the brake and the gas. It's absolutely awesome. So that to me is the greatest development of all, especially in this area where we've got a lot of traffic. So you can set it and it will keep up with traffic and it's just, it works great. So I am a proponent and I think it's very exciting the things that are going on. And I I just hope that we can get all the kinks ironed out. Um, But so it's going to be down the road a ways before we see these cars on the market. Well, first off, the developers, I'm sure, want to reclaim some of the money, um, that and by developing their own car, their own systems, and I would think that would monetize it a little bit better. But now, tell me, is the the um, predictions for more death and destruction? I'm not trying to be too awful here, but um, that's because of drivers' lack of attention, alcohol, drugs, other components that come into it that won't affect a system, a, a computer. Right. A, a, a computer that is properly programmed uh, isn't going to be drunk, and it's not going to be speeding. Um, and those are two of the biggest factors uh, that cause crashes in America today. Um, now, when I say that, that uh, cracking down on these types of on-road testing experiments would lead to more death and destruction, I'm not saying that absolutely the, the vehicle crash rate is going to be increasing. What I'm saying is that it's likely going to stay the same. Um, and we're going to be foregoing the potential benefits of this technology, which if you've got about 94% of uh, 
vehicle crashes today, the, the, primary, uh, the primary result of, of human error and misbehavior, uh, if you're not addressing that and you're letting the status quo play out, um, those, that just means that you're going to have a bunch of otherwise preventable crashes, injuries, fatalities, property damage uh, that, that uh, you wouldn't otherwise have if you would allow the technology to be deployed that could reduce those crash rates. Well, I like that because so many people die in accidents every year. It's, it's really kind of frightening. Um, and it would be wonderful if there's technology out there that can help reduce those, those deaths. Well, Mark, it's been fascinating. And I'm, you know, I'm rooting for the development of these cars. I think it's very exciting. Um, I, as I said, I'm an addict. I love to get behind the wheel. So, and I don't speed that much. I'm, I'm pretty good about that. So, anyway, but thank you so much for being with us. You have been listening to Of Consuming Interest. My guest has been Mark Scribner. He's a senior fellow with the Competitive Enterprise Institute, and his focus is on transportation regulation. Again, Mark, thank you so much. And this is Shirley Rooker right here on Federal News Radio 1500 AM. Thank you for joining us. Of Consuming Interest is a public service program presented by WJLA 7 Call for Action, hosted by Shirley Rooker. Call for Action is an international nonprofit network of hotlines which offer free and confidential assistance. If you have a complaint, contact Call for Action at 301-652-HELP. That's 301-652-HELP.